Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to finish our series of sermons called Greater Today, looking at the life of Elisha. We're going to finish today by um, going back a little bit. Uh, we, we started this series several weeks ago now. Six or seven weeks ago we started this series. And if you remember, if you were here, we started this series and we've referenced this verse a couple of times. Looking at one of the strangest verses to me in the entire body of Scripture. It's one of those verses that you read and you've read it so much, it just kind of is there. But as you really think about it, it is mind-blowing in its implications. And it's this uh, Scripture from John chapter 14 when Jesus is preparing His disciples for His departure. And He says to them, I tell you the truth, that if you believe in Me, If you do what I've called you to do, you will do the works that I do and will do even greater works than these. And if you remember, we talked on that first Sunday about the works that Jesus did and how it seems absolutely impossible that you and I can do greater because that word there in the original language doesn't just mean more, it means better higher. It means more than just a few more works because there are more of us. It means that the works we do will be in quality better, greater. And we've kind of paired that whole thought process to an Old Testament prophet that often gets overlooked, the prophet Elisha. He was the prophet that followed Elijah, and part of the reason he may get overlooked some is because he followed this great prophet, but also maybe because he just, uh, um, his name honestly kind of sounds a lot like Elijah, right? He follows this great man, and you have this moment where you're trying to figure out, how do I follow greatness like that? And what's interesting about the ministry and the life of Elisha is in many ways his life, his ministry was greater than Elijah's. His miracles were greater. His works and life impact was greater. And so we've asked the question, well, how did he follow a man like that? I read a story this week. Some of y'all may be familiar with the name John Bassanio. Some of you may not. But John Bassanio was a, uh, is a great pastor, a man that pastored uh, great churches in the Houston area, large churches. And the story is told about um, him going to a pastor's conference. And usually when he was at a pastor's conference, he had this great ability to mimic other preachers. And so he would get up and say, I don't know how I'm going to follow what has gone before me. No matter what had gone before him, he would say that. These great preachers, he goes, well, maybe I'll just preach like Billy Graham. And then he would do a spot-on impression of Billy Graham. Or maybe I could just preach like Adrian Rogers. And he would give a spot-on impression of Adrian Rogers. Well, at this particular event, basically, he had gone and he had flown in the day before and he didn't realize that there was an overzealous amener in the crowd. Now, I know y'all don't know what that is, but... I mean, Glenn, every now and then, will get going a little bit, but it it wasn't just that he was saying amen. He was saying, keep on preaching, brother. Let's go. Come on. 
That sounds like you're about to say something here. Go on. He just keep going, you know. And so John Bassanio gets up in this conference and he says, I don't know how I'm going to be able to follow the men that have gone before me. And this ameter down in the front row that he didn't know was there just yelled out, you just do the best you can. Come on, let's go. Bassanio didn't even go into the rest of the impression. He said, all right, brother, I'll go. All right. Well, Elisha kind of just takes it and just does the best he can do, all right? And so we've got this moment where Elisha, we see in Scripture, does all these amazing things. Now, we've talked about him over the last few weeks, and I've tried to give you some just key thoughts each week about how to live this greater life in our own life. And we talked the first week about burning the plows, about getting the stuff that might be preventing us from living the greater life and doing away with it, destroying it, getting rid of it. The next week, if you remember, I brought the shovel out and we talked about digging those ditches. That God sometimes wants to do amazing things, but if we're not ready and prepared and have done the small steps of obedience, then He's not going to be able to do all that He wants to do through us. Alright? And so we have to dig those ditches. We're not going to be able to receive what He's doing. And then we have to remember the widow who gave the oil, gave everything she had. Alright? We got to give it all to the Lord. The one that lost her son, and we talked about that even when things don't turn out like we think they ought to, we have to continue to trust Him. That we have to obey without explanation. And that simple obedience sometimes comes where God says, do this because I'm God, because I said so. And then last week we talked about the fact that When we find ourselves off track or a little distant from the Lord, we've got to know where to turn and to whom to turn in the midst of it. And in the midst of all that, we skipped over one story that I want to talk about today. And it's not the story where some kids make fun of Elisha and he calls down bears to maul them, although that's in chapter 2 of 2 Kings. He's walking up and some kids start yelling, go on up, you bald head, go on up. And Elisha just calls down bears to maul the youth, all right? That doesn't make it into a lot of grace sermons, all right? But right before that, right before that, is this amazing moment in Scripture between Elijah and Elisha. Let me ask you a quick question. When I say the word mantle, what do you think of? Fireplace, right? How many of you have a fireplace in your home? Good. How many of you have one that's actually working? Okay, good. We have one, but it hadn't been turned on in five years, all right? And what the mantle is that thing above. So I used to, there's this phrase that we use sometimes that I used to be so confused by. Passing the mantle. But why would anybody want to pass the mantle, right? I mean, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, we're going to talk about passing the mantle. Now, in the Old Testament, what was the mantle? It was a cloak, right? It was a cape almost. In fact, if Old Testament heroes were superheroes, we would call it a cape, not a mantle. All right? And we're going to talk about Elijah passing the mantle to Elisha. And what I want us to understand in this passage in 2 Kings chapter 2 are the clear steps that we see in Elijah's preparation and in Elisha's acceptance. Verse 1. The time had come for the Lord to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal and Elijah said, and I want you to see the 
tenderness. You, you don't think of tenderness when you think of Elijah. You think of taking on the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. But he says, stay here. The Lord is sending me on to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and says, Hey, hey, hey. We got some news for you. Do you know that today the Lord's going to take Elijah from you? He says, yeah, yeah, I know that. Just Let's don't talk about it. We're just going to keep pressing on. You ever had one of those moments in your life when you know what the future is about to bring? Let's just press on. Let's get this done with. Let's go. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here. The Lord's sending me to Jericho. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he went to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho came up to Elisha and said, Hey, I don't know if you might have told you this or not, but today's the day that Elijah's going to leave us. I know. I know. Let's don't talk about it. We're just here. Enjoy what's going on. We're just here. Verse 6. Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord is sending me to the Jordan. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. There are a couple of interesting things here. First of all, like I said, you see this compassionate side of Elijah. Why doesn't Elijah want him to go? Why doesn't Elijah want Elisha to go with him? He doesn't want him to see what's going to happen. He wants. I'm just sparing you. Some of you that are parents or grandparents, you understand that I'm just going to spare him. Realize that Elisha is not his child, but in many senses, from the moment that that cloak got put on him and he chased after Elijah... Elijah had become a spiritual father to Elisha. In New Testament terms, we could think of this as a Paul and Timothy kind of relationship. And it was a very intimate one. And far as almost as much as a father and a son, he's trying to spare him. Here's another thing I think is interesting because of something that later happens in Scripture. How many times does he ask him to stay? Three, right? It's kind of a symbolic number in Scripture, right? Is there any other time in Scripture where somebody asked somebody something three times? Yeah, Jesus and Peter, right? It also happened, this is an interesting thing, when? When Jesus is preparing to ascend and turn leadership over to Peter. He's going down to the Jordan. And he's going to take some people down there. What had been happening on this tour is most people feel... Elijah's been saying goodbye at several of those seminaries. Remember we talked about that last week? Little schools of prophets. But he's saying goodbye to people at those various places. And so he goes to Gil, excuse me, Gilgal and Bethel. And I'm going down to the Jordan. Remember there was a group later that wanted to build more at the Jordan because they, they didn't have a place to live. Verse 7. Fifty men from the sons of the prophets came and stood facing them from a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, struck the waters, which parted to the right and to the left. Is this the first time in Scripture the Jordan parts? No. When else did it part? Joshua, right? Also, by the way, at a moment of transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua. Then the two of them crossed over on dry ground. After they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. 
here's one thing that I want us to notice real quickly, and then we're going to move on to Elisha's response in this. But I want you to notice here that Elijah is walking with purpose until the moment he is taken by the Lord. Right? Elijah's about to leave. I mean, in like two verses, he's gone. In just a few minutes, he's departing. If the Lord had revealed to the prophet schools and Elisha that the day was today, don't you think Elijah knew that today was the day? And yet his goal in mind is not, let me get all of my affairs in order. His goal in mind is, let me prepare the next group that's going to carry on the work of God. I'm going to go to the seminaries. I'm going to talk to those guys. I'm going to help them get prepared. And then I'm going to spend some special moments with Elisha that's going to carry my legacy. And the idea is, and something we need to learn from Scripture is, that God calls us to work faithfully and walk purposely for Him until the day we are taken home. Now, the truth is, this is the 8.30 service. And as delicately as I can say this, many of us in this service are closer to Elijah's finishing than Elisha's beginning. No amens for that? All right. No, you about to say something now, preacher? Come on, none of that. And here's my, here's my call to you, and Scriptural's call to you, is live with purpose for the Lord until the day He takes you home. My father-in-law, a couple of weeks ago, many of you were here, said a phrase that a lot of people hear, and they go, okay, but then they don't. Think about how they live that out. And that is, there's no word for retirement in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop working, right, Glenn? Some, some of us have retired recently in the room. That mean you, <laughs> doesn't mean that we stop working in a place, but it means when it comes to working for the Lord, we never give that up. Till the day we die. And here's what I also want you to see, and this is important. Part of that purposeful walk is to constantly think about how the next generation is prepared to serve the Lord. Part of that purposeful walk is constantly praying and preparing and doing what we can to make sure the next generation is ready to serve. Can I just tell you that in America we hadn't done that very well recently as American believers? I don't know if you've seen the recent statistics, but the fastest rising group of believers, if you use that phrase loosely, in America are people that checked no religion on the latest survey. Over a third of 20 to 30 year olds checked none when it came to their religion. Can I just tell you, that doing things the way we've always done them ain't going to prepare the next generation for following the Lord. And part of our responsibility is to figure out how the Lord is calling us to prepare them, instruct them, and help them to find a place to serve Him. Elijah is there and he says, what can I do for you? I'm about to be taken. What do you want? Verse 9, second part. Elisha answered, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. 
Let me say something real quickly before we, we get there. I know I'm doing lots of real quicklies, but here we go. This is not some kind of supernatural, let me be twice as spiritual as you are. There is symbolism in give me a double portion. Anybody know what double portion meant in their day? Who got a double portion? The firstborn son. So if you had four sons and you died, your inheritance, you would have five parts of your inheritance. The firstborn would get two and the other three would get one. It was a double portion. What Elisha is saying is, confirm to me that I am the spiritual heir of your line. Help me to realize that I am the one who now speaks for the Lord as you did. Elijah replied, You have asked for something difficult. If you see me being taken from you, you will have it. If not, you won't. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Only three people in Scripture, we don't have evidence that they died. Elijah and Enoch. Verse 12. As Elisha watched, he kept crying out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Then he never saw Elijah again. He took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. So he sees this happen and he grieves because his spiritual father is gone. But then he's faced with a moment of decision. I want you to get the picture here. They have walked to the other side of the river. The truth is, the guys on the other side probably did not see what happened. But they know Elijah and Elisha went across. And they're going to wait on the way back. Now they also know that Elijah's last day is today. And so as he's coming back, it's going to be a moment of whether or not he is going to assert his leadership, whether he is going to follow the Lord, whether he is going to enter into this greater life to which God had called him. Now I want you to think in Scripture, there are multiple places where men, women, families are called to decisions like this one. Noah. Go build a boat. Abram, leave the country from which I'm calling you and go to where I will show you. Moses, throw down your staff. Joshua, cross the river. David, take on the giant. Daniel, deny the worship of this king. The apostles, come, follow me. Paul, why are you persecuting me? Throughout Scripture, there are these moments of decision. And all of those that I just talked about are moments of decision where the party being asked by God responds in the proper way, right? But there are other examples in Scripture where that's not the case. Adam, Eve, don't eat 
of that fruit. David, get off the rooftop. Sell all that you have, rich young ruler, and follow after me. One of the things I love about Scripture is the response is not a foregone conclusion. And any moment that you begin to live the greater life for the Lord, it starts with a moment of decision where you determine to obey and to follow whatever that means. I love the symbolism here. (laughs) And I love the way the Scripture says it. It says that Elisha went and picked up the mantle that had fallen off of Elijah. I love how the Bible just makes it seem like as he's speeding away in the fiery chariot, oh, oh, my mantle! It flies off the back and it's laying there. Do you think it accidentally fell off? No. He picks up the mantle and then what does he do? He walks to the edge of the water. Now, for you and I, when we hear stories about crossing the river, we don't think anything of it. When I cross a river, I just drive over a bridge. What's the big deal? Right? But in their day and time, crossing the river was dangerous and it showed a point of no return. He takes the mantle. He lifts it above his head just like Elijah. And then with the full force like Elijah did, he strikes the water. And what happens? It separates. When he struck the water, he yells, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Think of verse 15. When the sons of the prophets of Jericho who were facing him saw him, they said, The Spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. This was an important moment in the life of Israel because it said it's not so much about the prophet as it is about the God. And the same God who served Elijah now rests on Elisha. But it came at that moment where he struck the water. So here's my question to you. What does it mean for you to strike the water today? What does it mean for you to step out in faith and to do something you know God is calling you to do? I'm going to ask you to strike the water where you live. And I mean by that, your closest relationships, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse. Maybe there are some areas, some things that you need to do to further live for the kingdom of God. That greater life that is out there. And it is time to act, not to wait. I'm going to ask you to strike the water where you work. Maybe there are co-workers that you know you should talk to. Maybe there are decisions that you know you need to make. Maybe there are decisions you know will be unpopular with those in charge, but they are decisions that God has called you to do. And I'm going to ask you to strike the water. Maybe it's you need to strike the water at school. You're a young person and you're at school and in your studies and your friends and the people that are around you, there are certain decisions and things that you need to do and they may set you apart and they may cause you to be made fun of. They may cause you not to be able to do some activities. 
but it's time to strike the water. Maybe it's time to strike the water where you kind of socialize and play and have fun. Maybe it's time to strike the water where you worship. Maybe you know there are some things that have happened in your life that have distanced you from the Lord and today you know it is time to strike the water. I'm just asking you today to do whatever the Lord has called you to do. Let's pray.